The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Day of Honor. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Happy Day of Honor. <laughs> Happy Day of Honor to you, too. And Father Cory Stiga. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. Be sure to, folks, share the podcast with your friends to help us grow this community of Star Trek fans and uh, reach more listeners. We really appreciate that. And I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called American Catholic History. It's at uh, sqpn.com slash history or wherever fine podcasts are found. So we are talking about this this, uh, fourth season Voyager episode, Day of Honor. And it's interesting, the concept of Day of Honor eventually led to a whole lot of other Star Trek content and other media, like other books and things like that, comic books, uh, series, exploring Klingon culture. So it's kind of funny that uh, they kind of ran with this. Uh, which is interesting. But uh, so, Jimmy, if you could, could give us a recap of what happens in this episode. Welcome to the worst day of Belana Torres's life so far. <laughs> Belana is having a really bad day. All kinds of stuff is going wrong for her, including the fact that the newly arrived Seven of Nine has been given a duty assignment in engineering and now reports to her. Survivors of a race recently assimilated by the Borg have also shown up, and it's the Klingon Day of Honor, which Balana most definitely does not want to celebrate. It involves a ceremony using pain sticks, eating disgusting food, and other unpleasant activities. And ultimately, a crisis occurs that forces Balana to eject the ship's warp core, stranding Voyager. When Tom Paris and Balana go to retrieve the warp core they end up getting attacked the warp core can you tell this day is going badly the warp warp core gets stolen by the aliens and she and tom end up floating in space in spacesuits that are leaking air this desperate situation finally forces balana to confess her love for tom meanwhile the aliens who have the warp core try to extort a bunch of stuff from voyager but Seven and Captain Janeway give them some unobtainium technology, and they go away, allowing Voyager to rescue Balana and Tom. The end. <laughs> Balana is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. <laughs> even in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the classic children's wick. So, uh, yes, it starts with, the episode starts with Seven asking for a duty assignment because she doesn't like hanging out alone all the time in the cargo bay in her alcove, which... It's kind of funny because Borg, used to being part of a collective, are kind of classic extroverts. They need to be around other people. So, and I, I, so I guess she's well, doing the extrovert thing. Or at thing. least they need to be introverts around large numbers of other introverts. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. That, that's a possibility, too. Yeah. They definitely don't have to worry about getting bored in the collective, and apparently Seven to Nine is. Yes. Which is uh, a good insight on the part of the writers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yes, yeah, she asked, you know, she's got clear engineering skills and she asked Chakotay to assign her to engineering. Uh, and then we, we get some engineering time. Uh, we, we see Vorik, the Vulcan, uh, engineer 
uh, played by Alexander Enberg, who is the son of producer Jerry Taylor, nepotism. He, <laughs> he, he also played Tarek the Vulcan, the very similarly named Vulcan, on the TNG episode Lower Decks, and yep. then would play Vorek several more times in Voyager uh, here. Um, and I guess in other in books in various other places, uh, we get the uh, we get told that Torek and Vorek are twins, serving okay. as separate ships. Yeah. So, and why not? Vorek is kind of the loser twin. Yeah, <laughs> he comes across as not quite competent, as or at least not up to the skill level of some of the other engineers. Um, yeah. So when Chakotay comes or, and tells, or up to the level of Vulcaning of people like Tuvok. Right. This is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not everyone can be Spock and in, in, in Tuvok, I guess. Um, there are average Vulcans. Uh, <laughs> so Bolana, her bad day in engineering gets worse when Tor, uh, Chakotay comes in and tells her that uh, he's assigning uh, 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 Seven to to engineering. And there's this funny thing where she kind of forgets she's no longer a Maquis. She says, well, bottom line is I don't want her working in engineering. And he says... Bottom line is, I'm giving you an order, and you're going to follow it, Lieutenant. And <laughs> he yeah. emphasizes her rank. I, I thought that was a, a, a funny little exchange there. Uh, don't forget, uh, we're friends, but I'm also your boss. Yep. Yeah. Um, then we get... This is also the episode where Seven gets her name yes. that she's going right. to be known by. Because in talking to her about, look, Captain Janeway is talking to Seven about um, okay, so we've approved your request. You're going to be working in engineering, but you got to be a good girl. You got to do what your boss says, mm-hmm. and, which of course she won't. Right. <laughs> but she says, Janeway says, well, now that you're going to be functioning as a member of the crew, we need to figure out what we're going to call you. Do you want to be called Annika? You know, which is her birth name. And she's like, I don't want to be called that. I don't, I don't remember that life. I've all mm-hmm. seven of nine is all I've ever been. And, and, and it's technically, she's already pared it down because it's formally like seven of nine tertiary adjunct to unimatrix zero. Right. But apparently seven of nine has been how she self-identifies. And, and, and there's, an, there's a subtext to this conversation of Janeway is trying to nudge her towards accepting her humanity. And seven is trying to preserve her connections to the Borg. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they find this compromise where Janeway says, well, how about seven? And, you know, at least it's not seven of nine, which is way too Borg, because it refers mm-hmm. to those other eight Borg that were part of the nine. And seven decides imprecise, but acceptable. And that's true. It is less precise than seven of nine, but it is acceptable. And so that's how she becomes known as seven for short. And I, I realized... That I mean, I've always thought Seven is a great name. You know, um, I I don't have a. I, even when I was a kid, there was a Peanuts character called Five, mm. and there are and, and numbers are okay as names. In fact, they used to have people would often have numbers as names uh, more than they do today. It was classic in in Rome, for example. Women classically frequently had number names. And also, and men did sometimes too. The scribe that wrote the letter of Romans for Paul was named Tertius, which means fourth. <laughs> so I, I like these number names, and I realized something I'd never realized before. This is just personal to me, but 
I realized that I've always thought Seven is an appropriate name for this character because of my synesthesia. Mm. Um, because I have I have several forms of synesthesia. One of them is color color uh, grapheme synesthesia, where you perceive letters and numbers as colors. And the the number for me in my personal synesthesia, the number seven is yellow. Mm. And and Jerry Ryan or yeah, Jerry Ryan, not Jerry Ryan. Um, yeah, Jerry Ryan is play. It yeah. has has blonde hair. Yeah, as seven yeah. of nine, and and also the if you spell it out, seven has gray and yellow in it. The V is gray and the N is yellow. Oh. And so I've I've this she's wearing this gray cat suit with yellow hair, <laughs> and that goes with with the spelled out version of the name. And I've re- I realized on some subconscious level I've always thought Seven was an appropriate a great appropriate name for this character in part because of the colors I was perceiving associated mm. with it. Oh, that's, that's funny. funny. Now, now, yeah. Jimmy, though, with all this conversation of names as numbers, just remember I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> what was you, that from? You the are prisoner. number six. Oh, yeah. right. Prisoner. The yes. Prisoner. That's, yes. I was thinking of uh, the, the movie The Big Night, where the brothers are Primo and Segundo, because one was born first and one was born second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I, I had that come up in a. Um, I, I used that once from that mm-hmm. from the opening narration of The Prisoner. The You have the, the prisoner protesting, I am not a number, I am a free man. And then the voice of number two says, You are number six. And he replies, Who is number one? Yep. And um and I was once um when I was first learning to Morris dance, uh the in a set of in the set of dancers you have a number that tells you what role you're playing. And in a six person set one night, I was I wish I'd been dancing the number six position, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was the number five. And the discussion of numbers came up and I said, I am not a number, I am a free man. And the team foreman at the time said, thought for a second and said, you are a Morris man and you are number five. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's good. So uh, it, at this point in the episode, the captain and uh, Seven get called to the bridge because they've discovered this, this decrepit old starship that's just kind of uh, bumping along in through space, barely making way. Um, and it turns out they're Borg, uh, refugees from the Borg, looking for help. They, uh, their mm-hmm. entire planet of millions of people have been assimilated, and they're just a few thousand people left on a couple yeah. dozen ships, I guess it is. So, so basically, Battlestar Galactica makes a cameo. Yep. Right, right. Except they don't have a Battlestar, which would have been better for them. Yeah. I, 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 I do like, though, this, I think this is a really great idea to mm-hmm. have. I don't think they do enough with it, but yeah. I think it's a really great idea to have the Voyager encounter of of the survivors of a race that has just been assimilated Mm -hmm. in this situation and shove it in seven of nine's face. Yep. Right. And she's, yeah. So they're called the Katadi. And throughout this episode, we see seven. She doesn't really have emotional reaction to these, to to these things. Like she has Mm -hmm. a very, uh, uh, bland affect about this. Yeah. Yeah. She's very, she doesn't, she, it has an intellectual interest to her that people react negatively to her, whether it's Bolana or other crew members or the Katadi, but she doesn't have an emotional response to it. She doesn't. She's not defensive. She doesn't feel any moral qualms about what the Borg had done. She's just 
This is well, a and, fact. And when Balana asks her, don't you even feel guilt about this, which is what Balana wants to hear, mm-hmm. Seven says guilt is irrelevant. Yes. And, and that shows how much she's still thinking like a Borg, because right. for a Borg, feelings are irrelevant. And that's she, very much a part of yeah. her character arc going forward is mm-hmm. her understanding what it means to be human, to have an awareness of what she did as a Borg and, you know, and, and her feelings for others as well. Right. We're recording this before we've seen Picard season two, but in Picard season one, we've seen how far uh, mm-hmm. Annika, as she's then known, has has changed from that point of that. Point hey, of. what you doing out here, John Luke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a very different, you know, she's still seven, but yeah, there's a very different. Uh, well, and uh, even by by season trajectory. seven, the final season of Voyager, she has changed a lot. She's right. much more human, much more expressive, you know, so. Yep. She's got very much a relationship that they've built. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we also have uh, Bellana still dealing with her Day of Honor thing. She's in the uh, in, in the dining room. Yeah. What is it called? The mess hall. hall. Yes, <laughs> my brain. Uh, and Neelix. Oh no! Is try- oh no! Oh no! So it's just occurred to me how much mess hall sounds like missile, and <laughs> and that brought to mind uh, uh, far out space nuts, which was a car- not a cartoon but a live action Saturday morning television show back in the seventies starring Bob Denver, Gill- oh, wow. Gilligan. Yeah. And the premise of Far Out Space Nuts is uh, Bob Denver's character and his pal, who is not played by Alan Hale Jr., but is functionally the equivalent of the skipper, Hmm. are caterers. And they are, like, putting reheatable meals, like frozen dinners, effectively, on board a rocket that is uh, going to be launched by with astronauts on board. So they're putting on the astronauts' meals. You see this in the opening credits of every episode. And um, as they're doing that, uh, the boss character is going down a checklist and says, lunch? And in response to that, Bob Denver's klutzy Gilligan-like character mishears it as launch and hits the launch button, <laughs> thus causing them to become lost in space for the series. Ah. And so now between mess hall and missile and lunch and launch, I just, <laughs> there's, there's gotta be some use for that conjunction of, of sound alikes. <laughs> That's right. That's Especially yes, never... if, if you, if you apprentice someone to be a pilot and the uh, maid you've entrusted them to mishears and apprentices them to a pirate. Right. <laughs> Especially well, if they often think they're an orphan. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, Neelix in the mess hall, missile mess hall, uh, wants to do his uh, ambassador of morale thing or whatever he calls himself, um, and is is trying to celebrate the day of honor for the only Klingon on board, and brings the blood pie, and and Bellana doesn't want anything to do with it, and then he he makes this offer to her to be her pressure valve because he notices that she gets she she has this temper that she's barely able to control and it gets builds up and builds up until she explodes at someone inappropriately and gets in trouble and so he offers to be her pressure valve she can blow up at him say all kinds of things question his parentage and he'll he'll never take offense at it and she's like i can't do that to you right that's kind of <laughs> dangerous because when klingons release pressure it tends to get physically violent Physical. not just words <laughs> yeah 
Well, I think he has enough trust in her um, self-control. But it, this is a really touching offer. Yeah. And and it's it's nice. And um and deals like this happen in real life. Right. You know, um oh, yeah. people will really say, "Look, I know you need to maintain a certain presence in front of others, but if you need to blow off steam, you can come to me." Oh yeah. And yeah. and so and and she's touched by this and decides to engage a little bit more with the day of honor stuff. Yeah. I do like the line he has about, you know, traditions are good and there are things worth preserving. Right. You know, in reference is, to celebrating her her heritage, yeah. 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 That is true. Uh she ends and so to, they she explains the day of honor is when Klingons examine their behavior over the previous year to see if they measure up to Klingon standards of honor. You know, that's just that's that's the how the day go, uh, is is thought of. So she goes. She decides to go through with the ceremony. Goes to the holodeck uh, where she tries to do the ritual. It doesn't go well. <laughs> you know, you have to eat part of the targ, which is replicated. She does that. Yeah, she yeah. does that. Uh, then there's the whole thing with pain sticks, where you have to be hit with pain sticks while twenty reciting. pain sticks. Yeah, yeah, reciting something, and she's like, mm, "Yeah, this doesn't sound like fun to me anymore." And then has to uh, fight her way off the holodeck yeah. instead of just saying uh, "end program." She has to fight her way out. Uh, which I suppose is a nice release for her, and uh, she leaves the program running as she uh, abandons it. And, well, and the, the pain sticks aren't, aren't even like Worf, where when he did the uh, his Day of Ascension anniversary, that yeah. they just lined up and hit him from both sides. No, this is like one at a time. Yeah, yeah. Think cattle prods for pain sticks. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's pretty much. Also, she apparently had initially agreed to this because she and Tom apparently put this holodeck program together. So she had, she refers earlier in the episode to having a moment of nostalgia where she agreed to all this. So it's not like this is coming out of the blue for her. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so she ends up back in her quarters, and uh, Tom shows up to ask her how it went. He found the program running uh, when he went to the holodeck, and he tries to get her to open up, and she just pushes him away. And he's like, he's fed up. He's like, fine, you want to be alone, then be alone for the rest of your life. Uh, if this is what how you're going to treat your friends, and they break up uh, apparently at at this point, which is well, they weren't you know, quite an item yet. They were more just friends at that point, right? But. Well, they were. I, I think it's clear at this point they're in that exploratory initial phase where oh yeah, we're yeah. slightly more than just people that hang out a lot together. We're not quite officially dating. Uh, I, I was, I've been there. They haven't they <laughs> haven't said it until the end of this episode how they right. feel about each other, but yeah, and right. one of them still doesn't. Yes, yes, that that that's the to come. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, they've got this Katadi leader who's come aboard, and the the Janeway's trying to give them the supplies because, of course, you know we're we're not in Starfleet, we're not in the Federation. Our supplies are limited, um, and so she offers stuff to the Katadi, and he kind of says, "Well, thanks, but um, you know, you guys are living here. I, I see you, and I you guys are well fed. You're living in luxury while my people are starving." Uh, so excuse me if I don't, you know, accept your scraps as 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 a great gift. Which is a he's he's more diplomatic than that. But right. I I love the point that by but from my perspective, you people are living in fantastic luxury, which yes. they are from a 21st century perspective. Right. And and I can understand his. You know, I wish you could do more for us because well, what you've given us is going to help, and we're grateful for that. 
we still have way more problems that we need help addressing. Yes. Exactly. Uh, and then at this point, things really devolve because Seven shows up and he sees her as a Borg and he freaks out. And I'm thinking. And she still identifies log- as one. Yeah. But wouldn't the logical moment here for be Janeway to say, no, no, she's a former Borg. We've re- we've she's a human being that we've rescued from the Borg. And that shows hope for your people. Like mm-hmm. you could have mm-hmm. turned this into a positive moment. Yep. But she doesn't. And that's sort of that's that's one of those writing flaws where there's an obvious out and you don't you, for the sake of your drama, you don't go, go with it. And you, they should have explored that. Even if it doesn't work, they yeah. should have explored it. Um what the Katati guy does though is he then confronts Seven about what the Borg did to his wife and children. Yeah. Mm. And it it would require more sophistication in the writing. But basically, at this point in her character arc, Seven is still thinking, I am a Borg. I'm just cut off from the collective. And I've promised I'm not going to contact them again because I gave my word to Janeway. But that's really who I think of myself as. I don't regret being a Borg. I am a Borg. I don't regret assimilating people. Um, and, And they could have found a way to explore that while also nuancing it. And I think probably the way to do it would be to have Janeway start by saying she's a former Borg. We liberated mm-hmm. her. That give, gives hope for you. And then Seven, and then as the conversation proceeds, it becomes clear that Seven still thinks of herself as a Borg and does not regret assimilating people. And right. that would give the Katadi leader total license, not only to go after Seven, but after Janeway and say, this is the hope you're presenting me? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, but what happens is uh, Tom Paris has a conversation with her in the corridor and says, you know, however angry people are at you for being a Borg, what matters is, you know, whatever your past, what matters is who you are now, uh, mm-hmm. which is a refreshing in, in in 2022, that's a refreshing attitude. Well, and, and <laughs> of course, Tom is a good one to say that because he's a rehabilitated he's a criminal. You know, yeah. he's got a past. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he's he's been a victim of cancel culture himself. Exactly. Yep. Right. Right. So, oh, uh, hey, you know, we were doing all this research on Twitter the other day, and it turned out that 10 years ago, this person was a Borg. They've totally <laughs> got to be canceled now, now, now. Yep. She used to be fired from her job on board the Enterprise, <laughs> on the, the Voyager. Yes. Um, so one of the things that uh, that she's working on, Seven is working on in engineering, is potentially getting transwarp technology going on Voyager. So that they can, like the Borg, hop right into the Alpha Quadrant. So they can transwarp home. Yes. Yep. And uh, which eventually succeeds. Uh, spoilers. So, uh, <laughs> they, so they do this transwarp conduit experiment that goes horribly awry and leads to ejecting the core and uh, to save the ship. And that's when Bellana says she's having a terrible day, the worst mm-hmm. day of her life. And uh, she suspects in fact Janeway kind of suspects that seven may have done it intentionally and th- they address that in in the investigation so seven brings it up i do you suspect me and Janeway confronts that and says and they end up getting past that which is mm-hmm. i think i'm glad they at least address it in mm-hmm. in this episode and later they get evidence that it wasn't seven doing that right right it yeah. just was the uh, uh, something that went wrong um and uh and when Janeway believes her denials. Seven is, says that she's surprised at the acts of compassion 
that she's experienced that others have experienced. And so the, this seeing others being compassionate toward others is, is a formative experience and it helps her and, and it helps the crew in the resolution of this episode later on, but we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but we've got this, the uh, core that's been ejected floating in space and didn't blow up luckily for them. And so Paris and Torres have to go get it. They, it's, it's a million kilometers away. The uh, Voyager's en- impulse engines are conveniently down, and so they they get in a shuttle to go get it. One of the many, many, many shuttles that Voyager. Well, since we we now know that they've got shuttle replicators if available, only, if only they had a vehicle replicator. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure they don't. They get that until a lot later, but maybe they have. Maybe they have a three <laughs> well, a three D printer for parts, and they, they build it. They said at the beginning of Voyager that they have a limited number, so this wouldn't yep. be a problem if they hadn't said that. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. So they go, and uh, there's ionic uh, turbulence or some dumb made-up thing, space thing, <laughs> that has to happen in order for the shuttle to go uh, kablooey and them to escape uh, in the nick well, of time. They have a minute to put on these very bulky spacesuits <laughs> that they get yeah. on very quickly. That's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the, the, and the shuttle goes kablooey because they, the, uh, the alien race had captured the, the the warp core and was taking it and then yes. so oh, they try to disrupt yeah. the the tractor beam and they do some kind of you know techno babble feedback reverse the polarity the, yeah feedback, reverse yeah. polarity the neutron flow and it it ends up <laughs> causing problems to the shuttle that's right and it blows up the shuttle they can't transmit back uh the you know it made a and etc uh that's oh actually yeah the space turbulence is what causes the suits to start leaking oxygen so and, they're Floating in deep space with no. By the way, I have I have to throw on the rant here. Uh, do you notice that Paris and Torres are having you know conflict? They're in the middle of you know there's tension, and they don't spend two minutes yelling at each other about the tension they have in the middle of this catastrophe. Right. Gee, what 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 series could that be? I'm talking about. Right. Spend a lot of time talking about their feelings about the situation. Right. Yes. We. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, Sorry, a, a I had to, just had to throw that in there. Discovery rant. Um, so they end up having to share Bolana's oxygen, but even then, they're, they're, there's not enough for them to last for very long. And they send, you know, Techno Babble Carrier Wave back to Voyager. Um, the Katadi have now come back to Voyager, and because Voyager doesn't have its warp core, they now have the Let's advantage. Let's extortion some. Yep. Yes. And they basically want to strip Voyager of everything it has in order to, and leave them, you know, Worse off than the Katadi were, um, and uh, and and meanwhile we also want the Borg. <laughs> we want yeah. her too, so we can do bad things to her and get, take out our rage on her. Uh, I like so- how even as he's attempting extortion, the Katadi leader is still pretty diplomatic about it. He's mm-hmm. like, we have all these people; they really need this stuff. And previously, we agreed to a certain set of things because. We had no choice. Your ship was much more powerful than us, but that's obviously changed, and so we need to renegotiate. And right. um, and so, yeah, this is extortion, but he's not being a total mustache-twirling villain about it. Right. Right. Instead, right. he's he's being uh, Admiral Kane with the Pegasus. It's like, okay, <laughs> got this got this uh, ship here. We need its parts. We're going to strip it for the greater good of our of our group. Right. Right. He's being. Uh, pragmatic in a sense mm-hmm. uh so uh 
Seven's the one who comes up with the solution to the Katati problem. She's like, oh, uh, by the way, we have, uh, you know, in my head, I have their energy technology that they've lost because their civilization was destroyed. That that The Borg assimilated that. So we could, you know, build them a reactor for them to take, and that would be enough for them to start to rebuild. Yeah. Specifically, um, their technology is very heavily dependent on thorium isotopes, and they they need certain thorium isotopes in order to power their stuff, and they don't have a way to make thorium isotopes. Mm-hmm. But Seven does, and so she's willing to share the technology for, here's how you can make all the thorium isotopes you need and start powering things up again. Right. And and, and they ask, why didn't you share this before now? And it's like, well, I'm a Borg, and we don't typically share stuff we know. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, they said, you know, you can use as a template to build as many as you like. We can give you components and plans. Yeah. Basically, she gives them she gives them a thorium replicator. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and then uh, Belana and Tom floating in space. They they're facing death, and so that's when she's forced, like dragged out of her. Finally, oh, to admit her emotions takes and a long time. It takes yeah. too long to tell Tom she loves him. And this is what you were referring to. And to. then he doesn't say it back. Yeah. <laughs> he's just silent, and and she. No, he says you picked a great time to tell me. It's like well, no, you, what you meant to say well, was no, 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 I no, love no, you no, too. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> later. That comes later. He's silent, and finally she says, "Say something." Right. Yeah. And and that's when he gives this evasive answer. Right. And right. And, and I'm sorry, but um, this scene has been done better on other science fiction shows where you have people who are both about to die and one of them confesses their love for each other, for the other when the other is not really sure that they are loved back. And um, I don't blame Tom for not yet being at the point of loving Belana, mm-hmm. but she's about to die and you're about <laughs> to die with her. Right. Don't make the, don't make her last moments be filled with embarrassment and shame. Tell her you love her back, even if it's in a totally platonic sense and you're mentally reserving it. You can (laughs) clarify. If you both survive, you can clarify the reservation. You know? (laughs) You could, like, when this happened on Babylon 5, Delin and Lanier are on a ship that's that's been wrecked and they're about to die of of oxygen depletion. And Lanier confesses what's been obvious to the audience for ages, which is that he's in love with with Delin. And then when Mm -hmm. they're rescued, Lanier is embarrassed about the about the revelation, and and Delin gently lets him off the hook in a face saving way by saying, "I don't really remember a lot of what happened when we were oxygen deprived, but I do re- <laughs> I do remember that for a moment I felt extremely flattered." <laughs> nice, that yeah. is very diplomatic. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the, one of the actually, Father Corey, this was when I wrote down. Can you imagine how bad this scene would be on Discovery? <laughs> oh, it'd be terrible. Yeah. See, this is this is the problem with continuing to watch the the that for us is like we keep comparing stuff to it. But uh, I, don't. I, I should yeah, yeah. I, know. I should probably stop well, stop doing that. I but, saw the yeah. off ramp and got out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, I we're not to hold up Voyager as like the pinnacle of of science fiction <laughs> writing by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Cuz it's yeah. not. Yeah. But it is it's it's saying something where that this series, which is not a bad series, but it's not great, is still better than what they're putting out today. And well, this was written right. almost thirty years ago. 
Well, part of it is because it was a different time, they, they have a different approach to things. But also, I mean, there's not to say there isn't good things about Discovery and there's good things about Voyager mm-hmm. and good things about the... Uh, but yeah, there are, we have very specific complaints about and Discovery. there there are but some this, actually really good commentaries online about not just Discovery but a lot of TV that's put out today, a lot of writing that's done today yeah. about why it is so miserable. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, uh, that may be a topic for another another episode, frankly, where we could talk about what makes older stuff uh, different from the newer stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. um, but because uh, I've seen some interesting things. Oh. It, we're recording this while we're in the early stages of the Soviet or the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Yeah. And and when you look at the response, the heroic response of the Ukrainians compared to the navel-gazing woke nonsense of Western elites, it's really mm-hmm. dramatic. And at being in contact with reality um, and some of the harsher aspects of reality, like Russians are invading, literally invading my country. Mm-hmm. will make you wake up from a lot of the woke yeah. navel-gazing nonsense. And I think that's part of, I think, uh, wokeness is a disease of the affluent and safe. It and is. and yeah. the reason that so much of the writing we have now has this terrible navel-gazing emotional nonsense is because the writers have grown up in an environment that was so safe and prosperous mm-hmm that they could afford to worry about this tiny emotional crap instead Mm -hmm. of having to face up to, oh, we're in a dangerous galaxy and we need to deal with that danger in a mature and effective way. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm curious how this episode, so this episode that you're listening to now is probably coming out sometime in August of 2022. I'm curious (laughs) how well this will age and what will have happened between the time we record this and you hear this. Uh, yep. With with that, uh, I'll be. Uh, I'm going to come back and check it out. I'm guessing that wokeism doesn't solve the problem, and <laughs> no, <laughs> and together in our togetherness won't help either. <laughs> right, right. All right. So uh, that's where things end. Uh, the Voyager. It's actually it's funny how they end this with uh, them still in space. Voyager showing up well, and then beam beaming out. out. Yeah. Well, yes, yeah. Um, I, I like the uh, they kind of do this reverse angle where we see Voyager arrive. In the reflection of Bolana's uh, mm-hmm. helmet, which mm-hmm. is kind of nice. It's, yep. it's a little subtle yep. thing. Um, and that's where we, where we end, uh, right there. So, any further uh, thoughts, notes, Father Corey? I was very disappointed. No doctor. The doctor, doctor. was not in here. Oh, P- yeah. Robert Picardo was not in here at all. That's right. That's right. Which is very yeah. disappointing because he's very much, if not the my most favorite character of Voyager. He's definitely one of them. So. On vacation. I He's guess. definitely the breakout character. They thought it was going to be Neelix, but they thought they were setting up Neelix as a kind of Quark, because mm-hmm. Quark was the breakout character on DS9, so they thought, let's make someone that kind of has some qualities of Quark, uh, visually and morally yep. and things, and they came up with Neelix, and it's like, yeah, no, he's not the breakout character. Try too hard. Mm-hmm. They never predict the correct breakout character. They never <laughs> predict. They know who the right character is going to be. Uh, anything else? Nope, that's it. Uh, Jimmy? Nope. All right. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including John K., Chris, Joseph S., Ronald S., and Austin T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. 
So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you thought of Day of Honor. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when I'm not sure what we'll be discussing because as we record this, it's possible that next would be the third season of Lower Decks, but it might not be. So I can't tell you what that's going to be yet. Uh, so we'll, uh, we check. Have, have yet to collapse the wave function on that one. Yes, exactly. Yep. So until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and kapla! <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I've always thought traditions were good things worth preserving. 